If a small flock of cartoon bluebirds didn't help you get dressed this morning, that just means you haven't yet listened to Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor. No, the black dress slacks, please. Thank you. And now, Jim Hill. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and this is our second show for June 2019. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday, June 9th, which is just after the box office numbers for Secret Life of Pet have came in, and ooh, Drew. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. Did you see it? Not yet. The, the original Secret Life of Pets has been all over cable this past weekend. And so it was sort of revisiting that one, getting ready to go out and see this one. And when that came out in 2016, over its opening weekend in domestic release, it made $104 million, where the second film only made $47 million. I mean, that's less than half. And it's just continuing the streak of animated films underperforming this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, it doesn't entirely make any sense, but let's save that for the second half of the show. But today is Donald Duck's 85th birthday. Yeah, I mean, it, he looks good for 85. You know, he does. I think. He does. And you just discovered the latest Mickey Mouse short, which Paul Ruddish and company put out, which is Sort of a very Donald centric episode. Yeah, yeah. Did you watch? Did you get a I chance did, to watch it? Before? I did. And well, the note that, that Drew sent me is like it, it's a kind of an 80s celebration. It's Donald and Daisy and Minnie and Mickey playing tennis, but Donald is channeling Andre Agassi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're sort of like the mean kids in like an 80s mm-hmm. sports movie. And they look great. There's some good twists to that oh, that episode too. Oh, wait, but at the same time, I love the the overly aggressive '80s soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's really awesome. I thought it was great. Uh, no, they always do such nice work there. And every time when I see see one of these shorts, it makes me want them to really get moving on Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. If this is what they're doing with the shorts, I can't wait to see what they do with the attraction. Oh, yeah. Dying for that one. Speaking of dying, if you go to Jurassic World, chances are you're going to come back with a few few fewer fingers. Yes, correct. So Camp Jurassic, is is this what the new series is called? Camp Cretaceous. Camp Cretaceous, that's right. Yes, which is coming next year on Netflix, and they released a very... Teasery mm-hmm. teaser for it that didn't show really any animation, but we know that it's going to be 3D animation that Amblin is producing, mm-hmm. that Spielberg and Colin Trevorrow and and Frank Marshall are involved. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's interesting that there's a new Universal based animated properties that are going to Netflix when they have a direct to consumer platform mm-hmm. in the works and also are a part of Comcast now, which has cable channels. So it's just really interesting to me that they're still going with Netflix when they have all these other avenues, mm-hmm. but I don't know what that's about. I agree. But, but at the same time, what I love is the, when you came across, this is not the first uh, attempt at a, a Jurassic park, Jurassic world, animated series you you just sent me those seven amazing pieces of, of early art by william stout for i guess 
they tried to do it in the 90s or yeah in 2015 william stout who i think i speak for both of us is saying one one of our favorite illustrators and and concept Mm, artists right he he released a bunch of images from this show that was going to be made in the 1990s Mm. and he says that upon the success of steven spielberg's jurassic park all kinds of ancillary products were announced, toys, games, novelties, apparel, etc. Towards the end of this merchandising, I got a call from artist Will uh, Montague mm-hmm. asking if I'd be interested in designing a Jurassic Park animated mm-hmm. series. And he said it was not going to be a kiddie show, but that I was aiming for, quote, a mature primetime series with top writers and state-of-the-art television animation augmented with quite a bit of CG animation with the series boasting what what stout called a graphic novel look so clearly this was very ahead of its time but he says all we needed was spielberg's approval uh, but by the time the word got out that he was burnt out on jurassic park merchandising and all the film's commercial exploitation so it never got me uh, it, it well that's that's a heartbreaker because this art is amazing and you're right it it genuinely does have that sort of graphic novel feel and and these are not cute dinosaurs these are out of the seven images you sent along i think three of them show you know people in mortal peril right (laughs) yeah i mean he's he's amazing and he's done a lot of work i mean speaking of dinosaur and Mm -hmm. disney he did you know a lot of work on the the countdown to extinction attraction including those great posters that i'm not sure if they're still outside of the attraction because weren't they produced with mcdonald's those oh, God. pictures of like dinosaurs eating each other and stuff that's like that right that's right yeah i mean he's amazing what this makes me think of is i, I want to say that uh, uh, william stout's coffee table book came out last year and i think mm-hmm. like me every year when you go to comic-con you eventually make your way to bill's table and pick up the latest sketchbooks because they're always amazing and he's worked on so much stuff Talking about Dinosaur, he was one of the first people through the door working on Disney's Secret Lab project and did hundreds of sketches and, and drawings for that. You know, he was kind of the dinosaur guy in the industry for a while. And didn't he also do some work on Favreau's Magic Kingdom project, which you and I obsess about endlessly? Yeah, he did. I haven't, haven't you seen some of those images? Didn't he show you some? Or no, it's no? the, the thing. It's one of these <laughs> things where it's like, I, I had to be in the right place at the right time to see those. And so what, what were the images? If you, if you can remember the story as it was explained to me is that Bill was the guy that Favreau went to to sort of kind of define the look. I mean, again, for those of you who don't don't remember the conceit of, you know, Favreau's Magic Kingdom, the gimmick was, well, basically, it's night at the museum at Disneyland. And Bill was the guy, well, what would that look like? You know, what would it look like to have Abraham Lincoln hanging out with, you know, Jack Sparrow or, you know, that sort of thing? I guess they were looking for the three or four master paintings that they were going to use to then sell Disney execs on this. Cause this isn't a question of doing like taking a single Disney IP, like say Tim Burton and Dumbo. This is like taking every single IP the company has and putting them in one film. It, it's a big roll of the dice, especially if you do it wrong. And it's been at least five years that this thing has been bubbling up and then cooling off and then bubbling up and, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's ever gonna. I don't think it's ever gonna actually happen. But the craziest part of of this idea, and I think we've we've talked about this in an earlier fine tuning, is that there was the version of this that was going to be done as a Disney afternoon show. I mean, it was sort of a was in that same pile of shows that get pitched along with things like Thumper's Thicket and Double O Duck. But you know, the whole notion was that it, at one point there was. Somewhere up in the clouds, there was literally a Magic Kingdom where the country bears did battle with the Pirates of the Caribbean characters. And it says a lot about the idea that even Eisner, who, yeah, that's probably not a good idea. Let's let's go do something (laughs) else. And I don't know if this is a good idea, but what did you think of the the Camp Coral announcement earlier? I mean, look, we've known since February that there was supposedly a spongebob spinoff coming but what did you think of of the announcement well i thought it was interesting because it was it's going to be cg mm-hmm. i mean I, yeah i remember when they were they were saying that they're they're probably going to be multiple mm-hmm. spinoffs so this is just this is probably just the first yep. one but i thought it was interesting that it's going to be cg mm-hmm. i think it's interesting that this stuff has only happened since hillenberg has mm-hmm. died that is sort of an interesting... Like, do you think he was kind of against well, this stuff? Did or? you see the tweet that Paul Tibbet put out? No. He'd been involved with the SpongeBob since the very first season of the show. He actually directed the SpongeBob movie, Sponge Out of Water, and was the showrunner as, as late as 2015. He actually tweeted this out just the other day, Drew. It's like... I mean, no disrespect to my colleagues who are working on this show. They are good people and talented artists, but this is some greedy, lazy executiving right here. And they all know full well Steve would have hated this. Shame on them. Wow. This 13-episode first season of the show, and again, the conceit is we're going to get to meet 10-year-old SpongeBob who, during his summer at sleepaway camp, but... This is actually a spinoff of the It's a Wonderful Sponge movie? Okay, that was a TV movie, though. Well, no, this is now going to be theatrically released in in May of 2020. Oh, yes, this has been on the books for a long time. Yeah, in fact, originally supposed to release to theaters in February of this year, February 9th, then got pushed back to August, then pushed all the way back to July of 2020, then started creeping into July 17th until finally this May 2020 thing. But this is the, the log line for the, for the movie. It's like, set before the events of the TV series, SpongeBob goes on a trip to Camp Coral and meets some new friends. However, when his pet snail Gary gets kidnapped by Poseidon and taken to the lost city of Atlantic City, he and his new best friend Patrick must go on a rescue mission to save him from the dastardly plan of Poseidon before it's too late. So this is actually a spinoff of... It's a spinoff of a movie that hasn't yeah, come out yet. Yeah, but how different is this from the Wonder Park business plan? Because remember, the, the movie, that was setting up a series as well. Yeah, have we have we gotten any confirmation on what happened to that series? <laughs> or in- The phrase they wanted to use was they wanted some breathing space between theatrical release and the Blu-ray and the DVD before that comes out. So I think we're looking at the fall of this year, possibly early winter. Okay. You mentioned the show being done in CG. I actually have, have a friend who was sort of involved in the convincing uh, Hillenburg that the characters could, in fact, be done in CG. 
Are you familiar with the SpongeBob sub pants attraction? No, oh. I'm not. Where well, is it, this? It, it was built from in Moody Gardens in Galveston, Texas. It's it's kind of a science museum meets a themed attraction kind of a thing. This actually opened in May of 2015, and the SpongeBob Sponge Out of Water movie, which features the, that sequence at the end where the characters are done in CG and become superheroes as they battle. Oh, Antonio Banderas. Okay. Hillenberg, evidently, they come at him multiple times about doing the characters in CG, and it's like, no, this guy was very, very protective of SpongeBob right from the beginning. And speaking of which, I, I'm a little confused. SpongeBob debuted on Nick, July 17th, 1999. That means this year is the, is the 20th anniversary. Is is there anything out there pushing that? or? Uh, I don't think so. I haven't heard of anything. But yeah, that's weird that they would let an anniversary like that go by the wayside. I agree. Well, anyway, okay, so the, the, the thing of SpongeBob subpants was that you literally got into a, a theater... And it was this marriage sort of of the kind of a Star Tours-y moving theater thing coupled with a turtle talk. There was a cast member off stage who was working Patrick and Patrick would be taking real-time answers from the audience as the audience could, could literally vote as to where they were going to go on the attraction. And now, mind you, again, this opens... May of 2015, and Turtle Talk with Crush, that opened November 2004 at Epcot. So, you know, this is a full 11 years after that. It's, But it w- was highly uh, thought enough that the very next year for the Theo Awards, it was given special rec- recommendation by, uh, or special recognition by folks who work in themed entertainment, because it's like, oh my God, this is an amazing attraction. But, but it was during the d- development phase when they were doing the real-time CG version of Patrick that they brought Hillenberg in like two and three years out. And he was just floored that the CG could make a 2D character look like a 2D character. It literally brought him around to the idea, well, hell, we could maybe do this with Sponge Out of Water. But it was the, the, the attraction, at least the attraction in demo form, that convinced him that, you know, yeah, you, you could do these characters in CG. So... I guess I don't necessarily have that sort of a problem with Camp Coral, but again, that that comment by Paul Tibbet, that's kind of hard to walk around. Yeah, that's that's pretty distressing. Also, who knew that there was anything worthwhile in Galveston? I grew up in, in Texas, and I know I've been to Galveston, and it is uh, it is bleak. But now now I want to go see this this attraction. I've heard amazing things about Moody Gardens. I definitely have to get down there at some point. All right, so when we get back from our commercial break here, Drew and I will will do a deeper dive, maybe bothering SpongeBob subpants, to look at what happened with Secret Life of Pets 2. Top of the show, we, we were talking about this. So $47 million compared to how the first film did in 2016? Mm-hmm. Uh, 104 million versus 47 million. You were mentioning, Drew, that this is kind of the pattern for the year, at least when it comes to animation. 
Yeah, I mean, every animated movie that has come out this year so far has disappointed. Mm -hmm. Whether it's Missing Link from Laika or How to Train Your Dragon 3 from DreamWorks Animation or now this from from Illumination. Obviously, Wonder Park we just talked about being like, that. that's the like catastrophic mm -hmm. fail of the year. But Lego Movie 2 from Warner, I mean, there has not been one studio that's been immune to this disappointing animation mm -hmm. sort of continuity. So what makes me curious about Secret Life mm -hmm. of Pets, as I every time I go to Universal, I take a picture of this massive show building that they're building for the attraction. It's like, what are they going to do with that if nobody wants to see these characters anymore? You're dead on that that's a big attraction for summer of 2020 for Universal Studios Hollywood. But plans were supposedly already in the works in, in much the same way that Fast and Furious uh, Supercharged went from being the grand finale of the Tram Tour to a standalone attraction at Universal Studios Florida, uh, Secret Life of Pets was already supposedly tentatively scheduled to be built at the studios in Orlando, not to mention Japan, and even the Beijing park evidently had already sort of mapped out an expansion pad. It wasn't necessarily going to be opening day, but, you know, they were sort of creating an Illuminations land. Uh, the original Secret Life of Pets opens uh, in theaters July of 2016, August of that same year, you have Comcast buys DreamWorks Animation for $3.8 and then puts Chris Meliandri, the gentleman who's been in charge of Illuminations, in charge of both studios, kind of doing the John Lasseter, what they did in 2006 when, when Disney bought Pixar and, and John became chief creative officer for both places. And one of the things that came down immediately was that they were going to concentrate on making the most of existing IPs. And they shut down the Mumbai musical. Yeah, Mumbai musical, Larrikins, um, The Shadow, yeah, yeah. Boo, The Shadow movie. But it yeah. was all about, we want to make the most of the IPs that we already have. And so that was a thing. So of course, you know, Secret Life of Pets, uh, the original one, uh, when it was was out in theaters, made $875 million worldwide. So, of course, it was like, you know, you got within a billion, and, you know, of course we're going to do something there. But I think you, you've nailed it. You know, the whole notion of there was a plan for this. They were hoping in much the same way of how Despicable Me has become, you know, a full-blown franchise, and just last month, there was supposed to be a Minions 2 and a Despicable Me 4, and they seem to have merged the two. That there's Yeah, I, I've been trying to get some clarification mm -hmm. on that. Because the Minions sequel is called the, what is it called? The Rise, Rise of, of Gru or something? Yeah. yeah, so they haven't announced that Steve Carell is coming back or mm -hmm. anything, but I'm very interested in, in what that mm -hmm. is. Yeah, they seem to kind of have merged those two threads of the franchise, which I don't know if that's a bad idea. No, no, I, I, you know, face it, when you've made it to four, you know, in fact, I, I think the thing, honestly, that frightened a lot of people is what happened with Ice Age 5. The notion of you had this, this franchise that was making so much money, and then you, you did the fifth one, and box office worldwide went down, and it's just sort of like, what is there left to say? We're... On the other hand, as recently as September of 2017, you had Chris Malandri talking about how a fourth Despicable Me film was in the works. You remember what Chris used to oversee, which is Blue yep. Sky, and he oversaw the creation of mm -hmm. Ice Age. So 
to draw another parallel to, to something that's also unfolding mm-hmm. um, it, with Godzilla oh. and the Godzilla King of the Monsters, yeah. which is not doing well. Did you see we it? We did. We did. I thought it was fun. I picked up a copy of the art of Godzilla King of the Monsters. It, what's amazing is you page through this book and, you know, you have the director, uh, Doherty. Yeah, Mike Doherty. Yeah. And, you know, this is, a, this is a guy who, as a kid, begged his parents one Christmas for, I guess there was a Godzilla sort of Power Ranger kind of crossover. And, you know, he, he begged and pleaded and they got it to him for Christmas. And he he's carried it with it. It was in his college dorm room. It's in his office at Warner's. And you, you go through this book and there's all this amazing concept art. You clearly had all these huge fans of kaiju movies. And, you know, they really wanted to make a great, Godzilla movie, and we sat in the theater like 90 minutes in where it's, you know, time for yet another conversation. You know, it's like, just get to the monsters! Every so often they, it would actually be a Godzilla movie. Yeah. But at the same time, when you have to actually entertain yourself by going, wow, the design of the Marnock base inside of the, you know, the oil rig is really cool. Yeah. For me, the very fact that the Producers Guild of America this past week was having sort of its its summit and the guys from Warner were talking about, yeah, you know, Godzilla King Kong, which was supposed to come out in March. We we may push the date on that. We may push that back. Really? I think that's on the on the heels of Godzilla King of the Monsters didn't do the numbers that was expected and Yeah, I guess the plan was they were playing on building on the heat that you know, the notion of you know, yeah. you, you saw this one in May. Well, you don't have to wait a full year. You know, come March, here's Kong, you know King Kong versus Godzilla. And just th- this past week, the licensing show was in Las Vegas, and you know there was these giant banners for King Kong versus Godzilla. They were doing the full court press to, for licensing T-shirts and toys, and evidently, you know, people were avoiding them like the plague. It's crazy, especially because Kong versus Godzilla is a direct sequel. To this oh, no. one. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean it's it's not the same thing as building a theme park attraction, but it is it is one of those things where Hollywood thinks, oh, this is a sure mm-hmm. bet, and then it's not, and they have spent hundreds of millions on dollar of dollars on something that that they wish they could take back yeah. now. You know, it's crazy. If you can chase down this book, because the absolutely masterful, beautiful pieces of concept art and character design and Clearly a, a very passionate group of people worked on this movie. And yet you watch the film and it's just sort of like, I spent a lot of my formative years in Boston. And, you know, the, the finale of the film is basically King Ghidorah and Godzilla duking it out, you know, flattening all of Boston. And it's like, given the way it was done with the, it's it's at night and it's raining and it's like, you know, half the time he's knocking down buildings and it's like... That the Hancock Tower? Right. You're trying to suss out what I'm actually looking at. And and I was watching it conventionally projected. I wasn't doing the 3D IMAX where you lose 20% of it to darkness and all that. Right. Yeah. Would it kill them to do a Godzilla movie during the day? (laughs) Or at least leave a light on. Yes. Okay? You know. Yeah. Well, I also also have to bring up something, Mm. you know, I have a real beef with you, Jim, that you did this entire Mm. show with, for Lens you know, mm. podcast about Atlantis. We could have made that a show here. We got to do, we, we, people need more Atlantis content. Well, you know, I think if what, 
actually, yes. That's one of those films that always kind of breaks my heart because on the heels of that, was it was it Weiss that what, uh, left the studio and Trousdale stayed, or was it the other way around? Well, Tra- wasn't Trousdale doing things for DreamWorks for a he while? He was, he was. He did the, I want to say he did the uh, Shrek Holiday Special and... Yeah, God, how do you go from directing the first animated movie to be nominated for Best Picture to a Shrek animated well, special? But interestingly enough, to bring this full circle, Chris Melander has basically flat out said that there's another Shrek film in the works. Yeah. Well, Kirk Kirk stuck around because he was doing like the um, English language translations of the Hayao That's Miyazaki right. movies That's and right. stuff. And he worked on Chimpanzee for mm-hmm. some reason. The Disney Nature movie. I've had a couple of meetings at our office, Drew, the, the, the Bob's Big Boy, and in to look alike yes. with, with Don Hahn. And he told amazing stories about working on Atlantis and just, you know, and how impossible it was to be working at Disney during that period and trying, just trying to explain to the people who were now in charge of animation, you know, about we should make this movie. For him to go from working on that to then working on Frady Cat, which, you know, he was like, there was a genuinely great movie there. Right. Well, what el- what also always fascinates me about Atlantis is the, that Mike Mignola was brought Oh, in. yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, much like uh, Gerald Scarf mm-hmm. or Scarfy on mm-hmm. Hercules, like it was so cool that they brought in this outside artist. And I actually talked to him a few years ago about it, and he was very candid about you know the experience and and what it was like. But I want to dig up that Joss Whedon version of the screenplay. Oh, absolutely, read absolutely. That. In fact, somebody was just pointing out to me that the thing of telling the Atlantis story and about how the the two attractions that didn't get built, the Atlantean expedition for Disneyland and Fire Mountain for Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. The irony is that if you actually take the step back and then realize, well, look at Tokyo Disney Seas and you have Mount Prometheus, which erupts all the time. They actually have a Sinbad attraction there that was designed for that park, though, oddly enough, that's another one of those Alan Menken stories that they brought him in five years after the park opened to redo the soundtrack. And it then became Sinbad's storybook adventures and it's fascinating to watch the original version of sinbad and then compare it to story you know sinbad storybook adventures but i gotta caution you that if you ever make the mistake of actually listening to sinbad storybook adventures the theme song that menken came up with is such an earworm it will never (laughs) leave your head it's such a smart redo of the attraction i mean if you you watch them side by side they just they take something that's kind of dark and kind of problematic and turn it into this just complete home run. And in fact, the tiger cub that Sinbad travels uh-huh. with, you know, they even introduced the plush that you have to buy on your way out. Yeah, I was saying they put out a bunch of new stuff with that tiger cub. That's where we're hoping to go on our honeymoon. And I told that to Alan Minka and I said, we we're going to go to Japan and partially because of I have to hear your song for the Sinbad. Oh, that's, so he, he that's loved great. That. That's right. But I, I have to ask you, do you know what the Mexican restaurant was where they came up with Atlantis? I'm guessing it was Don Cuco's, but I, I don't know. I actually pressed him on that, and he was talking about how it's Burbank. You know, the thing is, the rest, you know, I think it, it's it's been three different things since we ate there. <laughs> I mean, you know Burbank to look like. In fact, that's, I, I think, one of the reasons why we, we go to our office. You know, the Bob's. 
yeah. they can't ever kill Bob's, where everything else around no. Bob's just becomes yeah. another Starbucks. Well, we'll have to go next time you're in town. We'll go to Bob's. We'll get Don Han there. We'll do a live taping Ooh. from mm-hmm. Bob's with with Don mm-hmm. Han. I think it could be great. And speaking of Mr. Han, just this past weekend, they had a gallery show. Don has a new book out. Believe it or not, it's called Han, H-A-H-N, Solo, The Paintings of Don Han. Don publishes a lot of the, the paintings he does these days on Facebook, and they're, they're gorgeous stuff. So, so okay, we just plugged your book, Don. you got to talk to us now. we gotta, you know, we got to get yes. the Atlantis stories. Well, anyway, speaking of, of your honeymoon, which means the wedding, which means, uh, by the way, you're getting married next weekend, so kind of a busy guy. So how about this? Why don't we <laughs> shut this down now so you can, oh, I don't know, maybe mail out the invitations or... <laughs> We're just waiting. We're just waiting for your yes or no, Jim. That's all we're. That's all I, we're I'm waiting sorry, for. I'm sorry. It's it's the chicken or the fish, Drew. I'm just. I can't. I can't decide. So. <laughs> all right. Anyway, folks, that will do it for this week. As crazy as things are, are you still getting light diffuses out the door? Oh yeah. Oh, did, did you listen to the Paul Hirsch episode? Well, yeah. Yet? Very killer. In fact, by the way, I wanted them to point out. You've just launched a Patreon for this, right? Or... Yes, we have. And so if you want to help us out, we'd really appreciate it. And we just recorded an entire commentary track for the first oh. movie. So you can listen to our commentary track while watching it. It syncs up perfectly. And we're going to be doing that for each movie. We're going to bring in special guests for some of the commentaries. So we're plugging away. But yeah, Paul mm. Hirsch will be the next couple of episodes. Um, the third episode is almost exclusively Star Wars oh. stuff. So... You and, and uh, Dan Z will have okay. to listen to it and, and pick it apart. We'll definitely, you know, talk that up the next time we do a looking at Lucasfilm. But uh, my side of the fence, uh, the usual crud here, folks. Disney Dish with Len Testa. Uh, we've got looking at Lucasfilm, as I just mentioned, with Dan Z. We've got Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. We've got I Want That, the Disney Merch Podcast, which I do with Michelle Valladolid. And, of course, we have Marvelous Disney. If you like what Drew and I do here, if you get over to iTunes and rate and recommend our shows, that would be great. Uh, if you really, really, really like what we do here, uh, you could swing over to Bandcamp and subscribe. That would be terrific. Likewise, for Light the Fuse, if you could help out with Drew's Patreon efforts, I would really, really appreciate that. And I think that does it for this week, folks. Thanks for listening, and once he gets back from his honeymoon, we'll record a new show. Uh, till then, take care, okay? Be sure to tune in again for another fine episode of Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor.